man, I have just been thinking about Ukraine today and this past couple of weeks. And um, I really, today when I was in my prayer time with the Lord, I just felt the, I felt like a weight of, of that. And I felt um, how fitting it is that Lent begins tomorrow which is this season in the church calendar, predetermined. Um, Lent begins tomorrow, and Lent is a season of recognizing Jesus' suffering for us, that God loved us so much that there was no price he wasn't willing to pay, that he came and he gave himself for us. And during Lent, we can recognize that suffering. We can decrease things in our lives to increase our... um, Karen has it, to increase our awareness of God, to increase our dependence on God. You know, sometimes when we fill our lives with so many things, it's easy to forget that we are actually completely dependent on God. Um, Jesus says in John 15, you can do nothing apart from me. And so um, I've just been thinking about that. And then today I was like, wow, I need to do something with my family. I need to do something with my kids um, for Lent. And so Josh, my husband over there, hopefully you can think of something by tomorrow morning if you want to organize that for our family. Uh, so tonight, um, yeah, I, I was just thinking that and I was like, wow, I have a few hours. So if you guys have any ideas, if you did anything as a kid and you want to come tell me later, like that would be great because I would really um, appreciate that. I do have kids, um, I have four amazing children who I love so much, and they were all really grumpy when I left tonight, but it's because (laughs) I was gone on Sunday and they were tired, and, um, but they were also tired because they're all doing sports right now. Emily knows, Emily picked up Emma for me today from soccer, thank you. So good, yeah, she's so great. She just learned how to play last week from Sam. Sam taught her how to play last week. And she has tryouts this week, so you can pray the Lord's will be done, but also that she makes the team. Supposedly, there were only 25 people there, and they're taking 25, so the the chances are good. like those statistics. (laughs) Yesterday, there were only 17 kids, and I was like, yes. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Um, But 40 signed up, so we'll see what happens the rest of the week. Uh, We brought her some little shin guards last night. It was great. Levi and Judah, my, um, so Emma is in sixth grade. Um, Levi and Judah are in third grade and first grade, and they are doing, Judah's doing basketball, and um, Levi is, has just tried out for baseball. He just had little tr- league tryouts this Saturday, and so they're doing great. Esther, of course, does ballet with Glenay, who was up here. Yeah. You guys want some dance lessons? Glenay can give you some dance lessons. She charges, though, pay her for her time. It's valuable. <laughs> She's like, no, no. She also does facials, so if you want to get a facial. <laughs> but I love my kids. I'm so thankful for this season. I'm thankful for the sunshine and some vitamin D. Can anybody else feel it? I'm like, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Um, but I also cannot believe that I have a sixth grader. I know you guys cannot believe that either since I'm only 24, but just kidding. I'm 35. Uh, but <laughs> you're like, wow. Um, but I do, I have a sixth grader and it is so crazy to me that I have a daughter in middle school because I remember middle school and I'm like, that couldn't have been that long ago, right? It was, it was. And I remember um, a couple things about middle school. I remember getting glasses in sixth grade with everyone else. I don't know if any of you, how many of you got glasses in middle school? 
Yeah, like all of a sudden they're like, hey, can you see? And you're like, no, I haven't been able to see, but wow, this is a whole new world. Um, yeah, glasses and braces seem to be the cool thing to do in sixth grade. Um, passed on the braces, but got the glasses, so that's helpful. And um, I also remember in seventh grade, I remember loving Jesus so much. And I remember wanting to make Jesus known. And so I started this, you guys are all like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, so I started this Bible study after church. I got a teacher like to back me. Started this Bible study um, after school, sorry, after school. And it was called like Life Group, I think. And I remember the sign, like I literally remember making the L and I put like two little fish in it, you know, like with the loops and well, I like vivid, this is a vivid memory, you guys, and it was a while ago, so it was like 20 something years ago. Um, and I remember this, and I remember there was one other girl, Carrie, there, we're still friends on Facebook, hey Carrie, if you're watching. Uh, <laughs> probably not. Um, but I, I just remember having this, I was excited that it was going to happen, I made posters, I put them around the school, I was just living for Jesus, I didn't have friends anyway in sixth grade, so I was like, well, I can't lose any friends over this, so here we go, um, <laughs> you're like, ah, that's what I remember, um, and so, so I put these posters around the school, and then one day, my math teacher, who will not be named, if you're watching, you know who you are, um, <laughs> but my math teacher, hopefully you love Jesus now, but my math teacher, um, one day, she called me into her room, and she had one of my posters, and she said, you can't do this. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, you can't, you can't do this. You can't put these posters up. You, you can't have this group here. And I, I had another teacher that was backing me, so I was kind of like, I think I can do this. And so I had a choice in that moment. I had a choice of if I was going to be obedient to that teacher, right? She was an authority in my life. She controlled my grade. Um, she controlled, she had a lot of, of control there, uh, or if I was going to be obedient to what I knew was true, which was that I was allowed to do this. And so I very respectfully said, um, actually, I think we are allowed, but we can go talk to the principal. Super bold. <laughs> so good. Some of you have met my kids and you're like, oh, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but I literally did. And so I remember going to see this principal and um, we called the other teacher, the teacher who was backing me, we called her um, in, I can't remember what that is called at this moment, but what is that called? A sponsor, I guess, like a teacher sponsor? Yeah. Um, and so we called her, and she was still at the, at the school, so she came in, and um, we had a discussion. Turns out I was right. Yeah, you were. <laughs> we could have it. Um, and, and I'm so proud of my seventh grade self. And I'm like, Emma, be like that. Um, my daughter, Emma, I'm like, be out, outrageous for Jesus. Like, share God's love. Make him known um, no matter what it means. No matter what it means um, saying no to or who you're saying no to um, or who you're correcting. So I'm like, Emma, be like that. And I really wish, you guys, that that boldness had come from a place of, of great circumstance in my life. I really wish that that boldness had come from just me living a really easy life and just having it all, and that's how I had that boldness. But it didn't. Um, some of you, if you've been here for a while, you know a little bit of my story. Uh, in my fifth to sixth grade years, I was being sexually abused, and, um, and that boldness 
that I had to live for Jesus came from a place of complete dependence on God. It came from a place of knowing that I needed God, and it came from a place where God, God's empowerment, like we talked about in Acts 2, um, I was empowered. I had this baptism experience with the Holy Spirit when I was so young, in sixth grade, um, sixth to seventh grade, actually, that summer, and, and that is what made me bold for Jesus. It wasn't because I had, um, had it all together or my circumstances were all right. It was because I was dependent on God. He was all I had. And it turns out he was all I needed. And so I wish I could tell you that I just kept that same dependence on God and that um, up until my 35th year, this past year when I turned 35, that I just kept that boldness and kept that Um, dependence on God, but I didn't. Something called high school came, and there were like boys, and there were friends, and I started to think more about what what they thought. And so when I was making decisions, God bless you, Amber. When I was making decisions, (laughs) hey, never miss an opportunity to bless someone, right? Um, When I was making decisions, I started deciding things based more about what other people would think than about what God was saying. And I stopped spending time with God, and I stopped knowing God. And if we don't know God, why would we obey him, right? And so tonight, we're going we're gonna to look at a story, and we're going to see this opportunity to be obedient to God or obedient to people. And I want you guys to lean in because tonight's message, the point of tonight, which is this, that courage to obey God comes from being with God. I want you to get that tonight because I care about you and I love you and because I know that Jesus offers us this life abundant and it's going to require obedience and it's worth it. And that obedience comes from our dependence on God. That obedience comes from being with God. And so we're going to turn in our Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 4. If you have this Bible or one of the ones from the welcome table, you're welcome to also get one from the welcome table. Um, If you need one, you can slip up a hand and Rachel will get you one. Um, If you have this Bible, we're on page 745. You can get there real quick. 745 in this Bible or in the orange one. Um, And if you have your own, it is Acts chapter 4. All right, a little bit of background while you're getting there about where we are. So we've been in this series through the book of Acts. We have seen in last semester in the book of Luke, the gospel of Jesus, it tells us about Jesus's life on earth. We see that Jesus comes to be God with us. The big word there is incarnate, God with us, with his people. And we see that Jesus is in human form, right? In a human body, which is crazy to think about, right? Like how did that work? The mysteries of God, I do not know. But I know that God did it, and I know he did it because he loves us. He loves you, Araya. God loves you. God loves you. 
And God came to make a way for us to be in relationship with God again, as it was at the beginning of time, as it was at the beginning of God's creation. And God came to restore the earth. We can see, I mean, we just prayed for Ukraine. We can see the world is not as it should be. When we hear about these things, it should move us to say, this isn't right. And God is saying that too. And so God sent Jesus to make a way to restore the earth. And so where heaven and earth come together. And so Jesus comes and then Jesus dies on the cross so that we can be in relationship with God because then we take on his righteousness so we can be in the presence of God. So Jesus comes, he dies, he raises to life again. And then, as we read in the beginning of Acts, Jesus tells his followers, he says, I'm going to go away, like me, God, in human form. I'm going to leave the earth, but the Holy Spirit is coming, who is not restricted by a body, who can be with all of us at all, all times, right? And he's going to empower you to live with me, and he's going to empower you to live on mission, to make a difference, to make right this world, to bring the love of God, to restore and to reconcile the earth. And we're going to do that through the good news of Jesus coming. And so that is where we pick up. We have um, last week, Julia told us about how two of the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they took this message seriously and they did the thing, right, Julia? (laughs) They did the thing. That's like my favorite phrase right now from Julia. Um, And so what they did is they went to the temple one day, these two guys called Peter and John, and they saw a need and they met it. They saw someone who could not walk and they said, you know what? I don't think that God, that's what God had in mind. That doesn't seem right. And so we're going to go pray and ask God to heal this person. And God heals him and he walks. You guys remember that? Isn't that exciting? Can we just be like, yeah, amen. Like, let's go, Lord. So he comes and he, <laughs> and, he, um, and he walks and the crowd around the temple, it was a really busy place. They're all astonished, right? They're like, what? God has power to change my circumstances. God has power to make things right. And they are excited, okay? Like the crowds are excited, except for a few of them. And we're going to meet them tonight. (laughs) And so um, these few people who weren't excited are the religious leaders, ironically. And they are not excited because this is, Jesus was not who they anticipated coming when they thought about a savior, when they thought about Messiah. And so the religious leaders are like, we don't know about this Jesus. And now these people just prayed to Jesus and this man was healed. And this is going to be a lot more complicated than we thought to get these people to stop thinking about Jesus and talking about Jesus. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, so they weren't going to stop talking about Jesus because, you know, the Holy Spirit helps us to glorify God and to proclaim his goodness and his love for us. And so that's where we are starting. We have have some excited people in the crowd. The healing has just happened. There are some exciting people in the crowd. And there are some people in the crowd who are, like, not really happy about this. All right, so let's look at um, Acts (laughs) chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. These are the religious leaders. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So there were three problems right there. We're going to pause. So they were greatly disturbed because, one, the apostles were teaching, 
And that was the religious leader's job. So they're like, whoa, that's my thing. You're teaching. Two, they're teaching um, Jesus. They're claiming in Jesus, which again, they helped have Jesus crucified. So there's that. They don't really like Jesus. And then three, they were preaching the resurrection of the dead, which the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the body. So it's kind of like three strikes, you're out. So then what happens? Verse three, they seize Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So they arrested Peter and John. Peter and John have just prayed for a man who couldn't walk. He walks and they're like, yeah, we're going to arrest you now. Not okay. So what happened? Like, this is the first time that we see the disciples experience persecution. This is the first time that as they're going and doing the thing, as they are preaching and proclaiming the goodness of God, that they're arrested, right? They're meeting um, some persecution. And so then the gospel stops because they got arrested, and that is the end of the story. Yeah, sad, really sad. Actually, what happens is in verse 4, you're like, what? Cover your attention. Um, in verse 4, it says, but, so they just got arrested. And then verse 4 says, but many who heard the message believed. Because after the healing, Peter stood up and proclaimed this was because of Jesus. And he shared the gospel. And so it says in verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men specifically, so there were more women also, the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. We were told just a little while ago it was at 3,000. So we have grown by 2,000 just even males. And so there are so many people now following Jesus. It's incredible. So the gospel will always go forth even in persecution, especially in persecution. And that is what we see here, and that is what we're going to see um, in a few weeks, too, as we continue in Acts. So the gospel will go forward even in, especially in, the face of persecution. So Peter and John are in jail, but they have great faith in Jesus. They have been with Jesus. They have walked with Jesus. They saw Jesus. They have great faith in Jesus. And they know the good news that Jesus is king and this kingdom of God that he has brought is, to, is what is right, right? We see the, the wrongness of the world. We see the brokenness. And they know that Jesus is bringing and making things right by his love and by his power. And so Peter and John are in jail, but faith rises up in the land. And they stay overnight in jail. And as I was reading this, I was like, I wonder what they did. Like, I wonder what they talked about. I wonder if they were afraid. I wonder what happened there. Will, will they have courage to face whatever comes? Will they be obedient to God? So we see, we'll see in verse 5. The next day, so they stay in, in jail overnight. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were, so were Caiaphas. Caiaphas is directly named in the plot to kill Jesus. Okay? Um, so Caiaphas is there, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? 
Note that they are asking about the miracle, right? But when we saw in verse 2, that's not really what they were worried about. It was actually the fact that they were teaching, they were teaching in Jesus' name, and that they were teaching about resurrection. But the Sanhedrin, who there are before right now, this is so you know for the rest of your, just some biblical literacy here, the Sanhedrin was made up of all the religious leaders, okay? And so it makes sense that they brought Peter and John before them because they're like, we don't know about this, like we need to check this out, okay? Even though they were wrong on a lot of things, it makes sense that they brought them before them. But the Sanhedrin is made up of the Sadducees, who we saw before, who don't believe in the resurrection of the body, and the Pharisees, who we've encountered in other scripture, like in Luke and other places in scripture. And so it's made up of them and some of the temple workers. And so Peter and John are coming and they are standing before them. What are they going to do? Like, can you guys imagine what that would be like? You just saw someone healed in the, by the power of Jesus because you prayed. Like, I would be feeling like pretty great, right? And then you get arrested and you stay in jail overnight. And then you're going to become, you're going to come before the same people that had Jesus killed. Like, talk about like highs and lows. Like, I wonder what their, yeah, we, I think we know what their highs and lows would be this week. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in core group, we typically like talk about how our weeks are. And um, I think that would be their, their high and low for sure. So they ask them, they say, by what power or name did you do this? Oh, so yeah, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection of the body. The Pharisees do. So the Sadducees can't like bring it up there because the court disagrees on that. And so they're just like, by what power did you do this name? That's why we, that's why we arrested you. Um, by what power did you do, by what power did you do this? And so what would you say in that moment, knowing these are the same people that had Jesus crucified? What would you say? Let's see what they said. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are, asked, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This is like all the things that the religious leaders don't want to hear, right? Peter is going for it, and we see that he goes for it because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. In his own right, we have seen what Peter was like before. He denied Jesus. He said, I don't know that man. I don't know that man. But then when the spirit of God comes in Peter, he becomes a bold witness, a truthful witness about who God is and what God does. And then he, he doesn't stop there. He's like, goes for more. So then he says in verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the stone you rejected, which has become the cornerstone. This phrase, the stone the builders rejected, has become this cornerstone, is a reference to Psalm 118. And it's one that Jesus quotes in the Gospels. It's one that you see may, may come across, I think, like four or five times. And it's, there's this story that kind of um, 
is assumed that, that what it's about. And it's the story of building the temple. In the Old Testament, the temple is where the presence of God dwelled. This was before Jesus held the presence of God and then before the presence of God is poured out for everyone to experience and be in. And so the temple is being built, but because it's a holy place, they don't have hammers. This is a story, by the way. It's not in scripture. Just to be clear, clarity is kindness. So they're building the temple. Because it's a holy place, there's no hammering. And so they, they go and they cut all of the stones somewhere else. And they bring the stones in pre-cut, pre-ready, like a jigsaw puzzle, like ready to put together. So the story goes that the very first stone that was brought was the cornerstone, which actually is the last stone that you place in the building. And so the story goes that, you know, they're like, why did this get brought now? Okay, whatever, just like put it over there. Grass grows over it. I don't know how much grass is in the desert, but you know, there's <laughs> grass grows over it, it's forgotten, it's just kind of left over there. And then they get to the end of building the temple and what happens is they're like, where is the stone? Where's the last stone? Where's the highest stone that we have to put in here? The one that holds everything together. Where, where did that go? And they go and they realize it's in this lowly place much like Nazareth would have been considered. And they raise that stone up and it becomes the place of honor. It becomes the highest stone, the stone that everything is held together in. So that's kind of where this phrase comes from. And Jesus is like, the stone you builders, usually it says the builders, but, but Peter's going for it. So he's like, <laughs> you builders, like you guys, you court, you rejected. He, Jesus, has become the cornerstone. Jesus has become the cornerstone, the one that holds everything together, the one that is held in honor. And then Peter gets even more bold, if you can imagine. How many of you are like, I totally would have done this. Yeah, that would be me. Peter gets more bold and gets exclusive. And he says, there's no other person. There is no other way except Jesus. And this is a really big deal. He says in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So then in verse 13, when they saw, when the court, right, the Sanhedrin, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? They had been with Jesus, and courage is a byproduct of being with Jesus. The courage to obey God in that moment because Jesus had said, go and share the good news, right? The courage to obey God in that moment came from being with God and it was recognizable even to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We see that, that Peter and John are speaking the truth, that they are speaking the truth in love and that they are speaking the truth in love boldly. They aren't allowing the fear of people to stop them. They are being obedient to God, not obedient to people. And they are great examples of living for Jesus. I asked in the, or I said in, earlier when they were in jail, like I wonder what they were doing. 
They were being with Jesus, right? They were probably reminding each other of all the times that Jesus made a way when it didn't seem like there was a way. All the times in history where God showed his love and faithfulness to his people. They were probably reminding each other of their time with Jesus as he walked the earth, God in human flesh. They were probably encouraging one another, and they were praying. They were saying, God, we need boldness. We know what we're up against tomorrow. We've seen what they did to you. God, we know what's ahead and what could be ahead, and so we just need your help. We need that dependence on God because they couldn't get out on their own. They needed that dependence on God. Courage to obey God comes from being with God. When I think of being with God, I think of John 15, which is like one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And Jesus is telling his followers, he's still on the earth, and he's saying, hey, there's going to be a time coming when I leave you. And they're like, what? Don't leave us. Which I definitely would have said too. Like, no, I need you. Um, I really, really need you. And so he's like, have peace. The Holy Spirit's going to come and be God with you. And then he says this. This is like one of his last instructions. He says, remain in me, that we should remain in God. And then he gives some promises of what that will look like and what, that will, what will happen if we are with God, if we remain in God. These are, these are three of the promises he gives. He says that we're going to bear fruit because of being with God, because God's the one that, bears, that produces the fruit and we bear it. So he says you're going to bear fruit, fruit that will last. He says, you're going to be obedient. He says, by remaining in me, you will obey in loving God and loving people. So he says, we're going to produce fruit. We're going to obey. And the last thing he says, there might be a subheading for you in the middle of it, but it's all in one discourse. Um, He says, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to obey. And he says, and you're going to be hated. You're like, whoa, that was a little swerve. Like, okay. But he says, yeah, as you love me, And as you love people, there are going to be some people that don't like that. And we see that in this scripture. And I wonder if they thought back to this moment. And they're like, wow, Jesus was right again. (laughs) And I wonder if they found that encouraging to them. That, hey, actually, we're doing the right thing. We're in a hard circumstance. It may seem like like we're not doing the right thing since we're in a hard circumstance. but, But I remember when Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. They probably take the imprisonment as a sign that they're doing something right. They still don't know if they're going to be killed, but um, they don't know what's going to happen in this moment. But they're proclaiming Jesus. They're being obedient to Jesus because they've been with Jesus. And the Sanhedrin notices the courage as well, and it's obviously something different to them. They call them ordinary men. Because you see, the people on that court, they would have been highly educated. They would have been, um, yeah, just really had the right pedigree. And they say, how do these ordinary unschooled men, they don't have a, a theological degree. They, don't, they haven't been with a rabbi. They haven't, you know, all of these things that they had. They're like, how do they know that? How do they know these things to say? How do they know this truth? And it's because they were been with Jesus. It doesn't matter if we don't have a pedigree. It really doesn't. Um, And we're not held back by what we've done in the past or by what we have or don't have. Whether or not other people think we meet the qualifications they think is necessary to be part of God's kingdom. 
because God allows us to be part of his global mission to reconcile the lost, to heal the broken, to bring freedom, right? God says, you know what? Because you are going to have my spirit, you can do anything I ask you to do. God equips us to be obedient with himself as we are with him. Let's continue reading. Verse 14. But since they, the the court, could see the man who had been healed standing there with them. (laughs) It's like there is no denying, right? They could see the man who had been healed standing there with them. There was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. The the courts conferred together. And they said this. They said, what are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They don't even name Jesus, and I wonder if that's because they were a little like, maybe Jesus really is powerful. (laughs) We should not name him. So they said, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What will they choose? Right? What will they choose? Peter and John take a a, a play out of Jesus' handbook in the Gospels. And instead of answering the question, they ask a question to be their answer. Right? Always a good good thing to do. And so, so this is what they say. So the, the court has just said, don't speak any longer to anyone in this name. And they're deciding, like, well, am I going to obey that? Am I not going to obey that? They've already made the decision as they were with God, right? Verse 18. They call them in again, command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. So which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So they ask a question to the religious leaders. What should we do? You decide. Should we obey you? Or should we obey God? And that's the question we have to ask tonight. Should we obey God? Or should we obey people? Peter and John stand courageously before these 71 leaders. Like it wasn't just like a, you know, a conference room table. 71 leaders they stand before the same people who'd convinced the Romans to crucify Jesus not long before, they're standing here and they proclaim the truth of Jesus. The good news, even if it wasn't a popular message in that moment, and it for sure was not, even though it could get them in trouble, even though it could get them killed, they shared the love of Jesus. They shared the truth of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And in a wild turn of events, we're going to see that it's Peter and John who are the ones being obedient to God, these ordinary people 
being obedient to God. And we see that in verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They, the court, the Sanhedrin, could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. All the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So the Sanhedrin was like, what should we do? And they didn't base it on the law. They based it on, well, everybody in Jerusalem knows about this. And everybody's praising God. And so we're going to look really silly if we are, you know, if we do something to these men. So let's just not. Let's threaten them and let them go. And it's Peter and John who are being obedient to God in that moment. So here's the question tonight. Will we live our lives? Will you live your life like Peter and John, being with Jesus and having obedience that flows from being with Jesus? Or will we be like the Sanhedrin in that moment? taking the temperature of the room and just adjusting ourselves to that. There is such a temptation to bow to others, to give them places of preeminence in our lives. And I know that from personal experience. Like there was a whole span of time where I did that. But can I tell you, when I came back to the very simple profoundness of being with Jesus, it changed everything. I think sometimes we're better at memorizing what people say about us than what God says about us. And that affects our actions and it affects our proclamation and the good news of Jesus being shared. Peter and John have shown us that there's a different way to live tonight we too can be obedient to God. We can be obedient to God. There are so many places in scripture where God talks about obedience. He's like that small sprocket, like obey, 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 be with me so you can obey me. Because when we're with him, we know him and we know his goodness and we know his love. And we are like, there's no other choice. Like we know you are all powerful. We know you are the king. We know you are good and consistent and faithful. And so, yes, we will obey. And God over and over and over says, says, be with me and obey me. So we have some scriptures here. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1, 9. This is when Joshua is taking over for Moses. Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. And it's... Moses has died, and God's like, hey, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. You can do this. You can be obedient to step into this, because I'm going to be with you. Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ, because Christ said we can't serve two masters. Are we living our lives to please people or to please God? Are we being obedient to people or to God? Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? 
You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's what we read tonight, Peter and John. Jesus has made them bold to obey. They have been with, with Jesus. They have seen God, right? They have come before the Sanhedrin. They have been bold to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And then you know what they do right after this? This had to be like such a wild time. They go and they hide out and they just stay safe. Just kidding, they don't do that. What they do is they go and they go back to the other believers. They tell them everything that happened. And it's a moment in time where they can say, God is with us. We are going to be bold no matter what. Look what God has done. And they go back to the, the, um, the other people. And it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, the followers of Jesus, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had to say to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And tonight, we're going to raise our voices together in prayer to God, and we're going to say the prayer that they pray. They pray for two things. They pray one thing for themselves and one thing from God. They say, well, two things from God, really. One, God, give us boldness. And they pray, God, you do the miracles. Give us boldness to share and to proclaim who you are, and you do the miracles. You do the follow-through so people can see we were right, like we were telling them the truth about who you are. So we're going to pray that, but first, we're going to have just a moment of, if Julia will come up, just a, like two minutes, one minute, two minutes, of just personal reflection. I just want to put the question um, back up there of, uh, that they ask, should we obey you or obey God? And I just want you to think about, um, yeah, Colin, I just want you to think about this. Like, where am I being obedient to God? Am I being with God so that that obedience can flow out? Or am I trying to please people, right? Am I trying to obey people? And so just take a minute, ask Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, come and help me know this. Help me know how to be with you. And then we're going to come back together. I'm going to pray this prayer.